Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. All right, so, we're, uh, <laughs> why don't you start us off? All right, well, <laughs> welcome to the Toxin Tasting Studio. This is Clerical Errors. I'm Berg. I'm Bullhagen. And now is the time for our show. Yes, yeah, so grab your beverage if you're driving. Maybe it's an ice-cold Mountain Dew. Indeed. Or one of those frosty cups of coffee. Right. I heard a commercial that uh, Natural Light is making a sparkling water now. That. What? Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, I don't know where that thought came, came from, but... Heck of a show already, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I brought a beverage today. I brought a. Uh, you know, every once in a while I like to do something healthy, right? Indeed. And what's my favorite store? Wise Buys. No. Fairway. No. I, I don't know. I'll give you a hint. We got sake from there. Oh, the liquor barn. No. Oh. <laughs> Aldi. <laughs> Aldi. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, my favorite, my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, store is Liquor Barn. Thank you. Um, no, uh, it's Aldi, and I, every once in a while, you know, I like to do some some healthy stuff, right? We uh, we picked up some Transylvanian cave cheese there. Oh yeah, amazing. So, yeah. Vicar, have you ever been to Aldi? Yeah, I think my wife bought out the goat cheese. Oh, section yeah. of the store you know what every once in a while i, I i've talked to people going to aldi because it's pretty amazing and i get the response like oh i'm sorry um we don't need help like they think it's a charity store or something <laughs> 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 i don't know anyways so where was i so i like to uh every once in a while i like to do something something healthy right so i have uh an organic juice <laughs> go on it's called um, antioxidant power. Well, it sounds healthy. <laughs> you sound you sound so, so thrilled. Do you want to know what's in it? Uh, maybe it's better if we don't. All right, let me see. Here. We, it's uh, got. Get a light here. It's got a uh, pomegranate, tart cherry, red grape, purple carrot, cranberry, and blueberry juice. That doesn't sound terrible. So. So let me open up the. Hopefully, get a good sound of this. Wow, that was not a pretty bad. good sound. Not bad. And uh, hopefully, the power doesn't refer to its effect on the bowels. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would be one of your most poetic uh, King James ones. Hey, I've got I've got some news. I'm thinking about maybe we should start a new segment about uh, like a Kanye West update. Oh yeah, what is going on there? <laughs> well, he's a he's a Christian now, right? He's a Christian now, and I saw a quote. I'll see if I can fire up that quote where he says uh, he likes the King James versions because it has a lot of yays in it. <laughs> no, I no, I don't believe. <laughs> I, I trust you, but let's verify that. I, All right, I'll verify that. If I can find that proof, what what will you do if I find proof for that? I I, I don't know. I, <laughs> cry a little bit, maybe. All right, let's say you have it. Let's have a, a sip. Could do without the carrot. You, you can taste the carrot. Yeah. Otherwise, the rest of it's good. The like the tart cherry holds its own. Mm-hmm. Vicar, what do you think? It tastes better than it smells. Okay. All right. Now, Vicar, probably you probably prefer juice out of a box, correct? I've been known to guzzle those down. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, my mother-in-law likes wine out of a box, so too. So. Hey, you know. This juice, though. It comes in a bottle with an extremely long neck. Yeah. I kind of dig it. It's kind of an old, it's kind of almost like an old school glass Gatorade, Gatorade bottle. Anybody remember that? 
Any of you remember Gatorade when it came in a glass bottle? No, I don't, actually. No? All right. I didn't pay attention to a lot of things when <laughs> we I was better, young. We, we're getting boring already. What are you preaching on? <laughs> uh, well, we have the, the joy of Vicar preaching for us. Um, so, Vicar, what are you preaching on? So, this Sunday, we are celebrating the Festival of the Reformation. Uh, Reformation Day is October 31st, uh, but most uh, most churches meet on Sundays. And so this coming Sunday, we're celebrating Reformation. And actually, the Festival of the Reformation has two gospel readings to choose from. The first is from John chapter 8, and the second is from Matthew 11. And this year, I decided to go with Matthew 11. So why did you do that, Vicar? Good question. I think the reason why I did it was because I haven't I haven't heard it preached on many times. Okay. The last Reformation sermon I heard was on Revelation 14, and the year before that was on John 8, I think. So, and I don't remember three years ago. All right. Yeah. It's such a long time ago for someone your age. Three <laughs> years is a long time. So... <laughs> So, so is there a specific verse? I know the answer. Is there a specific verse you're kind of uh, focusing in on? Yeah, sure. So um, Matthew 11, the text that we have, it's all Jesus talking the whole time. Um, and I'm kind of focusing in on uh, that first verse. Uh, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Um, And I'm talking a lot about how the Reformation is a time for the church militant uh, to be focused on, uh, to be meditated upon. Uh, And what I mean by that, the church militant, is our experience today in the world. Uh, Soldiers, Christian soldiers who cling to the Word of God, and cling to it alone, like Luther did. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, our experience in the world is that the world reacts to the, the word of God violently at times. And um, John the Baptist, well, he was arrested and beheaded. Jesus, well, he was, even as a baby, um, was persecuted. Uh, King Herod tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And throughout his ministry, he was thrown out of his hometown, almost thrown off a cliff, uh, almost stoned multiple times, and eventually he was killed uh, uh, by the hands of violent men. Um, This is the reaction that the world has to the Word of God. But in that uh, action of Jesus dying, Mm -hmm. God actually worked his salvation. At the end of the verse here in Matthew 11, it says that wisdom is justified by her deeds. Um, The deeds of the evil men um, actually led to the salvation of the world, where the blood of the Son of God was shed for the payment of all sin. And in his resurrection, uh, he broke the chains of death, uh, broke open the grave, and now offers that salvation to all believers. And so it's a time now that the church is in a world that reacts violently against the word of God, and the church uh, needs to be bold, bold in her confession. So the world tries to take it by force, but did you notice how the gospel isn't by force, right? Would you say, Berg? Well, I guess you, you I, fall asleep. I, I guess I'm. Were you got, wondering what kind of car Vicar drives? <laughs> no, actually, I was uh, looking something up because um, I actually, I actually have an, a different, uh, a different view of this text. Uh, when it says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, um, and that uh, that uh, the, what does it say? The violent are snatching it away, right? Mm-hmm. There's actually a Flannery O'Connor novel about that, right? Oh, um, yeah, I like how you say right, like everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's hard with general knowledge, because I don't know what's even general <laughs> knowledge anymore. Um, that This isn't actually talking about the enemies of the church, right? Because it says in the, gr- in the grammar, right? Uh, what is it? Since the days of John the Baptist, right? Read, read that first part again, yeah, yeah. right? 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Right. So, it's not just because it's from the days of John the Baptist, right? Because if if this means those people who are suffering, right, uh, from uh, the church's enemies, well, that's been going on since Abel, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think if we look at the parallel passage in Luke 16, 16, we get... Uh, we get a, a fuller understanding of what this means. Um, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it, right? So who are the violent taking it by force? These are believers, right? Because look at what they did during the days of John. They went out to the wilderness, and they listened to his preaching, and they believed it, right? They held it, and they wouldn't let it go. That is what Luke 16, 16 is. And that is the parallel verse for Matthew, right? So in a way, this is talking about believers, right? And take they our life, uh, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. The victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And this began with John the Baptist, who is in between the Old Testament and the New, right? Mm -hmm. He is the herald of the New Testament. And that people have... Uh, struggled and str and they strive to enter in by the narrow gate to take the kingdom of heaven by force because they've received it and they're not willing to let it go. And actually, Vicar and I had a, a little bit of discussion earlier today in this in the sense. I said uh, I said this. I think when you talk about uh, the violence that the church has suffered, it's from those who get upset that you know Christians are they uh, overwhelmed by the ruler's power and authority. No. Or they fear, do they fear what they can do if they even threaten Christians with death? No. Are they impressed with earthly glory and all the things that, that is used to control? No. You look at Martin Luther. Was he impressed by the Pope and all the, the authority he wielded? So. Yeah. I mean. Is that taken in a different direction than you are? Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> I actually think it's it's a very happy thing that this is what the gospel produces. It produces spiritually violent men who cling to the gospel and to God's kingdom and won't let it go. It's like a dog with a bone. Okay. I will say this isn't the first time I've heard this. Actually, that's that's Luther's way of reading the text. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm in good company. You're, he's in good company. Um, <laughs> and maybe this is one of the reasons why preachers stay away from the text on Reformation Sundays because... Um, Maybe they, they don't always know how to handle it. Um, but the reason why I went the direction I did was was because I looked at the whole text, and the, the second portion talks about the reaction against John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, and it's a, it's a negative reaction. Um, and, and I found it hard to think that, that Jesus flipped on a coin and went from a, a positive view of the kingdom of God and flipped and then... Uh, uh, and I'll just read it here. Um, what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Right. And I guess if I were preaching it with my interpretation, I'd say the first part is the a different generation, right? Okay. That this is a, uh, a royal priesthood. This is the holy nation. This is the generation created by the gospel. And then Jesus does change tactics, right? Sure. Because then he compares this generation, right? The generation of this world. And what do they do? They mock. I mean, it, where they don't just offer physical violence, but they, and this is the way that the world is today, right? They mock us. I mean, that's one of their most effective weapons at crushing the Christian faith. Right. So, so, so I think this is an interest. I, I like what's going on here. Okay. Uh. Right. And this is why, this is why, okay. Um, is this is why you use and you have the rest of the scripture because 
is, for example, a parable, is everyone going to agree on how a parable is interpreted? I hope they get close. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I know where you're going with this, like the analogy of faith, right? That, you know, when we use other when we use other portions of scripture, right? Mm -hmm. That even if, you know, and I've, you know, I've also modified my views over the years because I have learned more of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And um, as we preach, uh, we preach according to the analogy of faith, uh, which conforms our preaching um, to other parts of scripture. So, so how we understand a specific verse might vary from pastor to pastor, but the content of the gospel and your, the preaching of that word is since it's faithful to the rest of scripture. I mean, right. So like, you know, uh, Bullhagen and I can preach on the same text mm -hmm. and have very, uh, different applications, very different, um, points. Right. Mm -hmm. But we're gonna, it's, it's gonna come, it's all going to come out in the wash. Right. Because, um, there is one meaning to the text, and we're both being guided by, uh, by the clear words of Scripture. So you know, and and one thing I, else I would like to add is this. Um, uh, uh, this is from a Fox News article, where uh, no, it, no, no, for real. <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says, what is it? <laughs> um, oh, I lost it. Wes joked about his favorite version of the Bible. He is joked. It, See, it was a joke. His favorite version of the Bible is the King James because it contains yay in it. Adding that as he read a few Bible verses, excuse me if I mispronounce anything, I'm a recent convert. That means I recently got saved this year. And then he read aloud, uh, he said, It is God's grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not a result, a result of your own efforts, but God's gift. The Lord is great and deserves our greatest praise. Hey, well, thanks be to God. And he says later, he added, Imagine someone sending their only son. They don't have ten sons. They only have one to die for you. And then he revealed that his favorite verse my, uh, now is Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's the first thing Jesus said. The first thing J.C. said. <laughs> he said. Mark and priority. Hey. Yeah, mark and priority. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Vicar. Uh, but, you know, I mean, hey, I'm excited for the guy, right? You know, this is he's one of the forceful. Right? Right. He, uh, you know, he's grasped onto the kingdom of God, right? God has given him grace, right? God has given him a new birth, and uh, thanks be to God for it. Well, you know, you might say this. You might say, by saying, you know, by reading those things that we did, I'm sure we would all have some reservations about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but I, that but the thing is, isn't that what 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 happens in the New Testament though? Yeah, it's it's kind of like when when Christians first heard, "Oh, Saul is an apostle now." Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> you know, and see, and I, we I think we have to be careful that we don't become like this generation, like those children who sit in the marketplace mm -hmm. and mock. Because I mean, that's what they're gonna do with him, right? I mean, that sounds and like those sound know, like some pretty sincere, sincere statements, right? I mean, yeah, this guy—he's a baby Christian, right? Mm -hmm. And he's gonna flub up. We, you know, I mean, babies do that, right? Right. But by the way, he also has a new gospel album coming out this week. This week. Wow. So okay, which which might cause some to say, "Well, guess what? It's time to sell some." Yeah, I mean, records, right, right. You know, but that, but uh, at the same time, I think we could say, well, we 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 uh, we we can be thankful that at least, I mean, those are what I read. Those are good statements. Well, of faith. and you know, his you know his music. You know, thanks be to God that he is using his talent uh, for the transmission of the gospel. Now, while we would maybe. 
not wholeheartedly support you know yeah. maybe some hey, of the hey with that album the, comes out you know, and the album comes out soon maybe we should have a listen party and we can have actually like, that would be a good idea, <laughs> that's, a good idea. Yeah, that's a great idea <laughs> we we actually should not to not to mock him right um to t- because to take but, him serious because no yeah. one's going to take him seriously see and that's and that's the problem that was the problem with the pharisees that was the problem with you know that this generation who's sitting in the marketplace right they didn't take john the baptist seriously they thought he was demon possessed and they thought jesus was a glutton and a friend of sinners and tax collectors mm-hmm. and that's the problem that's why wisdom is justified uh well the esv says by by her deeds um I, I like the New King James better, right? Wisdom is justified by her children, mm. right? Mm. And that's and that's what this is. So, no, we should do that uh, in upcoming episodes because, uh, you know, we we should. We yeah, should, we, maybe we know. should have like a, a like a weekly Kanye update. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and that's the thing, guys. Pray for him, you know, because he's in an industry that, wants to destroy the Christian faith. Right. You know, I mean, and pray, pray that, that, uh, it actually is for the good. You know, this is why St. Paul says, you know, that we shouldn't, uh, make ministers out of people, you know, who are recent converts, lest they become puffed up. Right. Mm-hmm. That's always the problem with converts is that they always try to run ahead of themselves. Right. They never give just like kids. Right. They always want to grow up so fast. Yeah. You know, and this guy's in the limelight. I mean, he's a public figure. And so, yeah, pray for him because this is, it could be. The same The same kind of thing happened was be about a year or two ago where he he mentioned that he was a Donald Trump supporter and all the flack he got it. These people said, oh, he's turned his head on his back on the black community and all that kind of thing. Right. Which which is says something that you know if you're African American you have to believe certain way, right? But you know, but so I imagine you know a lot of people won't take him seriously. But I don't know, I don't know what's in his heart. I like you said, I think you have a good way of of, of explaining it. You know, I mean, he's you know, and we should. We might not agree with everything he says, but he's a baby. Mm-hmm. You know. Our baby, Vicar, our baby's always, uh, are they always right in what they want? No, sir. <laughs> right. Sometimes they want to chew on things that they shouldn't chew on, right? I mean, and that's the thing. Thanks be to God. I mean, yeah, if we take him at his word, like the Eighth Commandment says, he's a Christian, right? And that means we should pray for him uh, and try to help him along if we can. And it sounds you know? sounds sound like, uh, you know, he's headed in the right direction with those statements now. He said a lot of things for the last many years, but right. So you know. So all right. If you have any opinions on Kanye West, where can they get a hold of us, Vicar? <laughs> <laughs> they can email us. <laughs> Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye West. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, at, at clerical errors. At clerical errors. Uh, dot org. Um, they can find us on Facebook, Clerical Heirs, on Twitter, at Clerical Heirs P, and uh, anywhere else that uh, podcasts can be found. And uh, we'll, uh, he also has a movie out. I don't know where this movie It's going to be like an IMAX movie yeah, called like, Jesus is King or yeah. something like that. Interesting. Can we stop talking about Kanye <laughs> West? <laughs> We're we're trying to we're trying to appeal to a younger audience here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, this is a this is a great episode so far. What do you think, Peter? I want to know what's Vicar thinking about. What's Vicar. I'm thinking about what Kanye West eats for dinner. Vicar. Oh, on occasion. Okay. Hmm, interesting. So, uh, that brings us to our top 12 list. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time 
for Bullhagen's Top 12. Now, I've been looking forward to your Top 12 because, you know, we've, uh, I think we've both, you know, had a lot of death in our parishes, a lot of people asking questions about, well, and you've had a lot more than I have over the years. And you've dealt with this a little bit more than I have with um, hospice care, end-of-life decisions, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, And it, it's a good time for me to do this because if you're an avid listener, you know about my beautiful Oldsmobile Aurora. Um, that, uh, you know, uh, Vicar 15.0 had to restart so the battery. Right. Right. Um that beautiful Aurora blew a head gasket this week. It's a tragedy. And so, yeah, the, the car's done. It makes me sad. I'm not quite How, how many years have you had that? I've only had it for about three years. Oh, okay. But I'm kind of, it since we're, my, like my, my top 12 list is about hospice care, I kind of feel like my, my, uh, my role in life also is to be a car hospice provider. <laughs> Where I buy a car and provide that car, you know, a solid and happy, you know, three years of life where from someone who appreciates it. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, hey, the last couple of cars are still going, I think. Yeah. Well, we, 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 uh, we, uh, carefully took a Mazda, um, so you have your own like. Oh, I, I guess yeah. I guess the Mazda's now gone. Yeah, Mazda was uh yeah recent, you know, fallen homie, and. Uh, Do you have like a car graveyard? No, we we probably could. We had a, a Honda. The the Cavalier's still running, right? Um, I that one blew a head gasket. Uh, I gave it to Carney. Long story. <laughs> He had like was down to one car. I said, "I've got this 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 Cavalier that no one drives it. It it gets a little warm once in a while, and so we get it to his house, and it yeah had it blown a head gasket, and he actually fixed it. Right. I didn't, but I haven't seen it. I don't know what happened to that car. I don't know. So mm. anyway, <laughs> so top twelve list for end of life decisions, hospice. Et cetera, et cetera. And I, I and I must say I will I, I can't take credit for the list. I'm only sharing someone else's list. So, okay. So uh, um, it's from an article um, entitled uh, "Are All Hospices Created Equal?" And who is the author of this? Uh... Um, the author of the article is from uh, Lutheran Family Services, uh, which is our Iowa group. And then also it quotes someone, and so the author is um, a, a Reverend Dr. Jim Lamb that a lot of people know who has uh, uh, um, been active in the, the, the life issues for the Lutheran Church for many, many years, yeah, ever he, since I can remember. Yeah, he was instrumental in, uh, what was it called, Owen's Project, where they uh, got uh, these uh, models of little babies you know, uh, pre-born babies in uh, in all the Lutheran schools in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, Owen was, I believe, his grandson who um, died in the womb and was a stillbirth. And, because, and in honor of him, uh, they wanted to teach young children uh, with models that felt like skin and babies, right, that they could touch and hold and, um, and realize that... Uh, that that these preborn lives are are human too, you know that they are um, God's beloved children. So, and so so he wrote an article, and he so this is like a, a quote of a quote, really, my top twelve list. I'm quoting an article where he quotes a top twelve list that someone else wrote. So, <laughs> so uh, but I will I will post this article on our Facebook page, um, but it has a top twelve. Um, uh, it's a 12 list of questions you should ask when putting someone in hospice care about the hospice care that they receive. You with me? I'm with you. All right, and we'll, po- we'll post this article. And, and the one who came up with uh, these 12 questions, um, actually 11 questions, Dr. Lamb added the 12th. Um, but uh, 
Um, it's from Reverend Chris Wheatley, who is a director of Christian Ministry Programming for the Hospice Optage, Optage Optimum Aging. So, if that means anything to you. Number 12. Uh, will my pastor be able to provide for all aspects of my spiritual care? And because a lot of times uh, hospices have their own chaplains, chaplains. coming through. Right. And so, uh, um, you know, you want to, to make sure you don't want to bring confusion if the hospice is not your pastor. You generally want your hasp- your own pastor to provide spiritual care. I've actually had that been, happen before where I was there at the same time as a hospice chaplain, and it was awkward. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> well, especially since sometimes these hospice chaplains aren't, aren't even Christian, you know, and so... It's now, by, by asking these questions, we're, we're realizing that we're not making any statement about our local hospice because right. we realize our audience is worldwide. In the, it actually is. <laughs> we are an international podcast, friends. We've had Tanzania, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, wow. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think we've had more downloads in Estonia than we have in Oklahoma. What is up with Oklahoma? <laughs> All right, number 11. <laughs> we are horrible today. <laughs> <laughs> we're, having, we're having fun, but hopefully you don't lose listeners. <laughs> right. Number 11. Does your hospice have a policy regarding physician-assisted suicide? What is it? What? Uh, why not? So, so... Because, you know, we have laws, different laws all over the country where there is allowed physician-assisted right. suicide. Right. I think there are some new states that actually allow for physician-assisted suicide, right? Mm-hmm. Besides Oregon, I think, is one, right? Right. Um, and, and see, here's the, here's the thing about physician-assisted suicide. And I am, Peter, can you play some real talk for me? Real talk. The problem with physician-assisted suicide is this, because I deal with a lot of elderly. The last thing an elderly person wants to do is be a burden. Yep. And uh, and so when they, they, they think, well, I don't want to be a burden to this, they want to be self-sufficient. And the fact that there, there is a possibility for physician-assisted suicide, people I know, I know the elderly, um, not so much in my own congregation because, you know, they're well-versed in, in life issues when it comes to this. But there will be a temptation for elderly to say, well, I don't want to be a burden to my family. I don't want my, my, uh, my estate going into the hands of hospital care when it could be going to my family who could be using it for good things. A whole host of reasons when or it comes to... I'm going to die anyway. And I don't want to feel the pain. Right. But see, but I'm, I'm speaking specifically for the elderly, where they're less concerned about their pain. They're more concerned about those who are around them. Because it's a very selfless generation, in my opinion, what I've seen. And so there could be a lot of people who say, well, it's your choice. But then they feel pressured because they don't want to be a burden. They have to, if they have a choice of not being a burden, it actually might do it to the point of allowing themselves to die for the sake of their family. And uh, this, if you don't think that's true, just listen to me. I know a lot of elderly people, and I know how a lot of ways how they think, and this is one. This will make elderly feel as though I need to do this for the sake of others. They might even say, I don't want to do this in their mind, but they may not say it because I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to take away my children's inheritance by by throwing it all into healthcare. All sorts of reasons that this is an issue. And not only that, it creates a society where when states where they have physician assistance suicide, all suicide rates go up across the board because it says something essential about life. That it's, if it's hurting, if it's painful, it's up to you that you can end it. And so whether you have terminal terminal cancer or whether you have depression you can't shake, well then, guess what? Uh, you can make that option because it's your choice. 
and uh, that's not good. But I just wanted to have a real talk for a moment because this will hurt the elderly. It's no different than this. Think of this, Bird. When, uh, when a, a teenager becomes pregnant, you don't think, we say, well, she's, it's her choice, it's her choice, it's her choice. It's all about choice, we're told. But when everyone in her life is saying, you need to think about your future. When her parents are saying, you need to think about your future. Uh, the boyfriend who not, doesn't want anything to do with the child, you need to think about your future. And everyone is saying, no, no, no. What, do you think she actually feels like she has choice in the matter? No. No. And physician-assisted suicide will do exactly the same thing to people who really need support. I joked earlier that about uh, how cars, I'm like a hospice care for car. I give them a bunch of love and respect as they, in their last few years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this, this ends that. And so the reason why I have this top 12 list here is to, to reiterate this and to be mindful of how hospice works, and it can do a lot of helpful and godly things, but it also can sometimes outstep its bounds. Mm-hmm. So that was number 11. <laughs> All yeah. right. Number 10. Can I keep my primary doctor? How does your medical director work and communicate with my primary doctor? So, because hospice has their own doctors, and uh, right. you want to make sure that uh, because you're, you're the patient... Should usually, feel comfortable. Right, and usually has a rapport with a doctor that they've had for many years. Number nine. Who decides when to discontinue a treatment? What input is given by hospice staff, my family... And my agent. So, so part of hospice is this, and this brings up an interesting question, doesn't it, Berg? Uh, that's one one question we get in situations like this all the time: is when is it okay to stop treatment? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are times where um, it is helpful. Sometimes it is not helpful. Right. You know, at some point you ask, are you prolonging, seeking to prolong life, or are you prolonging the dying process? Now, if you have a certain treatment and it gets taken, you, and you say, "Well, I don't want to do this treatment anymore," you're you don't want to do it and say, "Well, I'm taking away this treatment so that I die." You know, right? That's different than allowing nature to take its course, so to speak. Right. You know, it could be because when you stop a treatment, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Indeed. Yeah. I and mean, look at Terry Schiavo. Right. Right. They thought that she was going to die when they took her off, what, the ventilator? Mm hmm. And she kept living, and, you know. But then they discontinued her food. Right. And starved her to death. Right. So, so that's, that's the thing. And it's, and it's hard to give you like a clear answer, guys, because every case is going to be different. Okay. You know? So, so one thing as we approach to, to number, uh, number eight. There's two terms that, that really become uh, essential to understanding end-of-life issues in hospice care. And then those are, one word is uh, palliative and the other is curative. So curative would say what? You know what curative that you're gonna, is. You're going to cure them. And palliative is comfort, right? Comfort, right. So so hospice generally, generally is one of palliative. palliative. Right, you know, you're not going there to be cured. They're there to maintain pain. Right, you know. Right, so there could be situation situations where where um, the the care you could say, well, um, what about antibiotics? Is that palliative or curative? Well, for some, some might say it's it's curative in a sense that uh, you're not there to cure all your infections. You're there to to keep comfortable. Right. But certain antibiotics actually can make you more comfortable if you have an infection. Exactly. And and and, and these are actually issues I've seen over the years where where maybe it was seen as as uh you can't give that to him because it's curative, but it actually was, you know, a cheap uh, inexpensive way to actually provide relief as well. Right. Because I mean, sepsis for example is way worse than like if you're dying of cancer and you get an infection, 
to die of sepsis would, you know, taking antibiotics for that wouldn't be curative, right? right? Because sepsis would actually speed up death. Uh, it's very painful. It pollutes your system, you know. Mm-hmm. So that would be a case of if you're dying of cancer and you get an infection, like um, urinary tract infection. That's how a lot of these sepsis cases ap- happen, actually. So Number eight. Um, do you employ palliative chemo? If so, when? So Okay, uh, so this is basically just an extension of the last one. Right. Right. Right, so... So various type of therapies where, you know, generally chemotherapy is to try and cure, cure, but it, but also, you know, I I wonder what what situation would that like be, like for like a brain cancer maybe, so that way they can continue to, right, you know, so they wouldn't have seizures maybe, um, I, because I have this list I don't know. This was not my list. I mm-hmm. don't know exactly what he means there. Um, but I, I want to make sure I say it just because someone is out there listening where they know. Where that's an actual where, case. Where chemotherapy maybe provides comfort, um, not just cura- curing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Number seven. Do you employ palliative sedation? If so, when? So, so in other words, for comfort, you basically keep them sedated. Right. So, and we've seen this a lot where yeah. people get really restless, you know, and they'll try to get out of bed, mm-hmm. for example. And a lot of times that's kind of when that palliative sedation happens. Right. You know, to keep them calm and comfortable because right. sometimes they'll get very agitated. Right. And actually try to leave. And they can't do that. Right. And they would hurt, end up harming themselves. And that's that's different than just saying, well, they're kind of painful. We're just going to zonk them out. Right. Yeah. Number six. How do you employ morphine? What has been your experience with it? That's a big one because too much morphine can actually shorten the life span. Right. Um, and it can do some other really goofy things too to your to your mind. I know as as a pastor sometimes at uh end of life things gets really tough because you want to have some of these conversations with people. Right. And talk about the faith and um sometimes because of the too zoned out on on medication. Right, and it makes it very very difficult for us to, you know, and this is especially like Thanks be to God, most of the people that I've, you know, been there for end of life mm-hmm. stuff, you know, have, we've had conversations in the past and they've confessed Christ and, and the like. Right. But, and and note um, to pastors, one thing that is actually helpful sometimes is, is to, when you go visit someone who's in this situation, to ask, when was their last dose of medicine? When do you expect to give the medicine again? So that you can time your visit so, so that you kind of, you're you can visit when one dose is kind of wearing off and they're a little bit more with lucid. it lucid for you to visit with them and share God's word with them before they they give them something a little stronger then um so so right. pastors f- feel free to ask because they, you know especially as a family there that they want to know that they'll tell the family so that you can have that information or the family will tell you this would be a good time they just gave them some medicine now um so maybe in a couple of hours or something like yeah. that Exactly. So, number five. How do you determine the correct dosages of pain medications? What non-pharmacological interventions do you employ to, employ to treat pain? So okay. There's all sorts of different uh, um, things that can be done to to uh, treat pain. You know, um, for example, some uh, provide massage therapy, right, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, there are other ways that you can do without medication. Medication can sometimes be the easiest way. Right. But there are a whole host of, of, of ways that you can help control pain um, without just throwing medicine at it. Number four. Do you accept clients on feeding tubes? Do you pay for it? What is your procedure for infection around the feeding tube site? So those are all questions. Um and also, you know, those kind of questions also can center around someone's living will. 
Right. That's a big one because you, everybody needs food. Right. You know, and it's one thing if they don't want to eat, right? And 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 to be honest, that's generally how I see, you know, of my the precious saints that I have served is they have have so many health issues go on, and all of a sudden they just stop eating, and people want to say, well, okay. Um, you need to eat more and they want to do all these things. But to me, it just seems like their body just gets in the, into this this type of a thing where um, they're just not hungry anymore. It doesn't taste any anymore. And it's not like they've given up. It's just... They're not hungry. The, the will to eat um, is is gone. And I think it's really part of the, the dying process. Right. But... You want to ask this question so that way you always have the option, you know, in case they are hungry, you know, right. that you can feed them. Right. Because you you just don't want to, yeah, because starving them to death mm-hmm. is the same thing as murder, so. Yeah, and, and you want to make sure you have people around you, uh, if this is your case, who really care about you to help you with that. Right. So. Um, Number three. Do you accept clients on fluids? Do you pay for it? And you notice the question is, do you pay for it? Because that really is an important issue. Right. Because when, when hospice comes in, they pretty much, if I'm not mistaken, kind of they foot the bill then. Right. So 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 you don't want money to be an issue of whether um, your loved one gets the care that they need or not. Right. You know, because some of these things could be very expensive. Mm-hmm. And you don't want, you never want the end of life issues um, to to be based on money, which happens a lot, especially in countries where they have health care that's paid for. Everyone is paid for by the government, and uh, and so it's kind of taken out of the people's hands. You know, who's going to pay for this? You know, um, it's kind of interesting in places where they have really strong governmental health care for everybody. They're generally also the ones who are very weak on life issues because it hurts right. the bottom line, you know. Well, what what was the name of that little boy? Was it a British couple? Do you remember this? Oh yeah, it was a uh, like an Charlie. Ireland. Was it was that the name Charlie? Mm-hmm. Where the government wouldn't even let his dad go in there, you know, mm-hmm. because they wanted to fly him to another country to I think Italy to get him the you know, the surgeries and stuff he needed. Yeah, because it was And they let him die, you know. Let him die because, you know. And that was only, what, six months ago maybe? I I don't know. So. So, yeah, it's it's something to be mindful and and to ask, well, who is going... You know, you guys have all these rights. That means you have a pretty big responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? And another thing, too, is... You know, and and perhaps in some areas, you don't have a lot of options when it comes to hospice care. Right. But many of you listeners actually do. There are there there are many different, you know, so if you're in a bigger city, you know, if like you're in a city that uh, has recently voted to no longer have drive throughs in there, they they'll probably, (laughs) that's Minneapolis, they probably have a lot more options when it comes to, to hospice care. Uh, but it's always important when it comes to a lot of these questions to, to talk to your pastor. Number two. Do you accept clients on oxygen? Do you pay for it? Mm-hmm. Because uh, everybody needs to eat. Everybody needs fluids. Everybody needs to breathe. <laughs> right. Because oxygen you know? could be seen. Oh, it could be. It could be seen as either curative mm-hmm. or palliative. And you say, well, because you need air to breathe, correct? Right. But if you can't breathe or you're not getting the oxygen that you need, what happens? You get very anxious. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you, if you have a memory of not being a very good swimmer and jumping in a lake, you probably have flashbacks of that or you, you probably scared you as a child because that was a moment in your life where you're very anxious because you couldn't breathe. Yeah. And so that's the thing. Yeah. You don't want to deprive them. You don't want to deprive your loved ones of anything that they absolutely need to live, right? Right. I mean, but the question is then too: who pays for it? Right. 
and and so these are oxygen these... can get expensive yeah unfortunately yeah and number one how do you determine what is palliative and what is curative so, so that might be a sliding scale and that's kind of kind of the the basic to a lot of those that we talked about right what is to keep them comfortable what is curative because if it's hospice basically they're saying okay we're kind of done with the curative right and we're moving to the palliative and so um hospice is does very important work don't they yeah they sure do and uh and they they do deal with things that a lot of people don't want to do or deal with because right it's a hard it's a hard job very hard and uh and but it's good to ask these questions and to be um be uh educated when it comes to these things and on what can be done and what can't be done and to speak up for those because generally people in those situations cannot speak up for themselves very well Mm -hmm. or they like i said earlier they might feel a lot of pressures to do things a certain way. And so if you have someone in your life who knows them and understands what they're going through, when they say, well, um, I'd rather, you, you know, do this when you kind of know, well, actually, mom, we love you and we want this to happen. Right. And, and to speak up for them. So um, if you have any comments, you know, maybe this is more of a hot button uh, topic that people would like to comment on. But, uh, or any questions, um, you know, we can, you know, we only have our own experience and what we read and that sort of thing, right. you know, too. So, and, and fellow pastors who are listening, please give us some, some of your takes on this. You know, we, we, we are not the exhaust. We don't have the, all the experiences that, that all of you have, you know, and we all have different experiences as pastors. So what might, do you think would be helpful in this conversation as well? But uh, I want to thank uh, Dr. James Lamb for mm-hmm. for writing that article. I put I think I posted it over the summer when that article came out. But uh, um, it's it's always good because the reason why you think about it now is this: is you don't plan for it, you don't expect it when it comes when you right. need hospice. You know, it's kind of like uh, when I when I uh, talk to a couple before they get married. One thing I have them do is, is I say, you need to come up with a way that you're going to handle disagreements when you're not angry. And I actually have them write it out mm-hmm. and they work it out together. Some ground rules before we have how we're going to handle, handle disagreements. So one says, I might need some space for a bit. One might, uh, you know, I tend to do this. This helps me. This When this happens, I take it personally or all those things, and 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 you do that when you're not angry with each other, right? So and so when it comes to hospice, you talk about these things and you get these figured out, and you, you be mindful of them before you actually need it. Because when it happens, you get about a thousand uh, things that rush through your head, and uh, and there's a uh, many times uh, you question, did we do the right thing or didn't we? Mm-hmm. And uh, which is natural. Um, I mean, that's where the gospel comes in. You know, it's not a perfect science. Right. And people often feel guilty for making decisions. And it's like, you know, if you make the deci- the best decisions you can with the information you have and trust that Jesus is your Savior, mm-hmm. right? And, you know... Repent of of all of your deficiencies. It's his 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 blood covers your sins. And one verse one verse in scripture that I always point out in these situations is this, and from one Psalm one thirty nine. There's different translations of it, but I I generally word it this way: that every word of were written in your book of life before any of them them came to be. Mm-hmm. Meaning that God will make sure that this precious child of God will have every day she is supposed to have. Right. Every day. God will make sure that your loved one will have every day. They're already written in his book that they're supposed to have. And that means that that precious child of God will have no more and no less. Right. And and so so you might think, well, by doing this, they died here. Or by doing this, this is when they died. 
well, are you the one who's making that decision? No. No. God has every day written in his book before any of them came to be. And that's why when you make the decision to die, that's what makes it serious. Right. So. All right. That That is our top 12 list. So since I knew you are going to do a top 12 list about end-of-life issues, right, hospice, and because it's October and because I was reading one of my favorite authors, H.P. Lovecraft, okay, okay who is a famous weird uh, slash horror slash science fiction writer in the early 20th century, I, uh, I was inspired to write a poem called Psychopomp. Okay. okay. So, by the way, I think maybe we need to come up with a new intro for this. Right. We need to have like instead of Berg's bodacious blasphemy because this doesn't. This doesn't. Yeah. So maybe we should have uh, Berg's. Uh, uh, and we have to come up because of bardic ballads. <laughs> Berg's bardic ballads. So. And then we have to think about what kind of music we want to play behind it. It indeed. So, do you want to do a quick opening here? Here. So, we have a new segment. Berg's uh, Bardic Ballads. <laughs> it's a part of the show where Berg shares his poetry. So, anyway. So, psychopomp means... Um, it, it's, a, it's a word that, that talks about um, guides uh, of souls to the underworld. Okay. And you see this all over in mythology. Anubis was one of them. Uh, Banshees, right, who Mm -hmm. howl and wail before people would, you know, kick the bucket. Even in New England, they thought they were whippoorwills that would actually screech and howl before uh, somebody would die. So uh, this, since it has to do with the end of death, you know, end of life, I figured, you know, why not talk about psychopomps who, you know, bring us into the afterlife? Okay, and okay. I, and when you're done with that, I, I want to tell a story of a of a, a, a reoccurring dream I had when I was first a pastor. So okay, so this is iambic pentameter uh, rhyming scheme A B C C B. As I stare at the grinning skull of death, which leers at me while I lay in my bed, I long for us your guide to lead me hence, for my last journey shall ere long commence, and I know not the dark paths of the dead. How could the pale king strike me unawares? No banshee wailed for me upon the moor. No whipper wills did screech at my demise. The ripping of my ghost was a surprise, and for this wound there is no earthly cure. For who can guide me safely through the vale? I see no viking maid to take me home. I have no mead horn with the heathen slain. Eternal woe and shame shall be their bane, and far from joy these warriors shall roam. No winged Hermes comes to trick dread death. No hero strong shall tame black Cerebus. My flesh so old grows cold, I have no guide. And I nascent to eternity stride, perceiving though death's paths are perilous. For what dread judgment waits waits for me in death? Anubis wolf-like seeks to weigh my soul, which is by sin weighed down with a great load. Pale Hecate hounds my soul at life's crossroad, and seeks to scare me from my heavenly goal. But lo, a light does burn before my eyes, which darken with the deep, long sleep of death. God's angels come to bear me at it to his side, and guide me to where I shall e'er abide, and hope I thus release my dying breath. Why do these shining heralds come to me, to bear me to a place I did not earn? The Christ, O soul, did die to pay for sin, and did by death from death your own soul win. O vagabond, for you his heart does yearn. And so I leave this life with my two guides, and know my bones shall rest a little while. At world's end Christ shall be my dear escort, when he shall gather all his heavenly court, and build a lasting home for each exile. Wow. I'm impressed. You're good at this, Berg. So... Of course, this guy's lying in bed dying, right? Mm-hmm. And he's looking death in the face. And, of course, it's a surprise, right? Because mm-hmm. none of the traditional signs of death accompany it. No whippoorwills, no banshees, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no way to cure this. And so then you have the evil psychopomps, 
right? Mm-hmm. You have um, you have Anubis, who's going to weigh the soul, right? Well, and in Egyptian mythology, when you put the soul on the scale, uh, on the other side of the scale, there was a feather. And if your heart was was heavier than the feather, uh, you were eaten by this great monster, and you didn't go to the afterlife, right? Uh, same thing with Hecate, right, who is the goddess of witches, right? Um, there's, there's and you go again so, saying, right, like, I know all this. Well, <laughs> you could, but... And so I talk about the true psychopomps, the angels, right? Right. From... Um, from the from uh, the rich man and Lazarus, mm-hmm. right? Who take Lazarus to the to Abram's bosom, right? Mm-hmm. And why why do we have this? Well, because of what Christ did, and ultimately he is our he is our true guide. He is our true escort. That's beautiful. So I really to me this is a this is a one of the the best things you've done. And so, you know, it looks at life and death as a journey. as mm-hmm. a, And just like any journey, if you don't know where you're going, mm-hmm. it is. It's scary. It's scary. But we know where we're going. Right. And we do have guides. Uh, we have those who have walked before us. We have angels who will take us to where we should be. Mm-hmm. And Christ is the one who rock, walked the road before us. And, so. and also, too, along that, it's always important to be mindful uh, for the the family, whether it's a husband, sometimes a wife of those who died, to let the person dying know that that God will take care, good care of your family. He will watch over them. Right. Um, because because like I've said earlier, a lot of times people don't aren't thinking of themselves in their own death. Mm-hmm. They think of what's going to happen to to my spouse. Right. You know. You know, I, I, Julie and I, my wife, have had this uh, conversation before. Where I've actually told her this. I said, "I hope I outlive you." Mm-hmm. Um, not, not like in a way that, you know. Yeah, I mean, out of context, that right. could sound really terrible. Right. But, but really, I mean, right? Because I, I joke it's too. It's super. It's super sweet. Really. It, 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 I also joke too. That's that's why I keep myself in sh- good shape because. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but my point is this. Ah. My, my, my point is this, is uh, I, I, for me, it's more comforting for me to have the thought of, of her being alone without me than it is me being alone without her. Right. Because you would rather, you would rather suffer. And the, than, I would rather yeah. go through that time of suffering knowing that, that she is safe in the in the hands of our Lord, rather than, than I'd rather that be me, right? Than who her. is still living, than her. Mm-hmm. That's and it's a kind of a weird conversation we had that, you know, not long, you know, right when we were first married, even, right? You know, but that's, I think that's uh, not how a lot of people would think about it, but right. Oh, I never told you my story. Yes, because we need re- a little more humor. Yeah, your your recurring dream. I'm trying. I'm trying to bring humor, but uh, anyways, so I, I it was around Halloween time, and I had this dream a few nights. Okay, I dreamt that uh, uh, I had gone trick or treating with the kids, right? Yeah, and for some reason, I dressed up like the Grim, Grim Reaper. Awesome. Okay. And in my dream, I'm liking this. In in my dream, you know, when you're first a pastor, you know, you have weird dreams, like you're always late and you forget your sermon and everyone's staring at you and your robes on backwards and right. everything goes wrong. Right? Have you had a dream like that yet, vicar? Not yet. It's coming. Though. It's coming. Yeah. Because yeah. you're a vicar, you can just let pastor have those dreams because I'm just the vicar, right? That's right. <laughs> so, so my in my dream, I was dressed up as a Grim Reaper. And then I had an emergency call to someone who was dying. <laughs> and I forgot to change. And so <laughs> and so, so I go in <laughs> to these situations and everyone's like, that's not funny. That's not funny. Like, it was an honest accident, you know? So. Terrifying. 
Vicar, don't do that, okay? <laughs> Got it. <laughs> oh. All right, I think that is enough of a show tonight. Indeed. And so, uh, um, on behalf of of uh, on behalf of who? I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, who all? Who are we dedicating this show to? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, do you have anybody you'd like to dedicate this show to? The cultural icon known as Kanye West. So we want to dedicate this show to Kanye West because... Indeed. A lot of people think it might be coincidence that he started this year, it says, he became a, a, a Christian. Right? Okay. What else happened this year? Well, coincidentally, we started a podcast. podcast now, so. I've noticed that we've had a few downloads from California, and I believe that's where he lives. So... I mean, you never know. I mean, so so we want to dedicate this to to Kanye, and uh, uh, may hopefully he's listening, <laughs> at least more than Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what Oklahoma? Come on, come on, guys. Uh, so we dedicate this to Kanye, and uh, thank you for listening. May your tomorrow be. Uh, both palliative and curative. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.